Barry Alvarez. Coach, thank you so much for joining us on Inside Wisconsin. Absolutely. Great to be with you. Proud to be your first uh, your first guest. I, actually, I'm a little worried. It's the old, where do we go from here? So this yeah. you might actually be our last guest, too, depending on how well this <laughs> goes. We could I be doubt. shutting it down. Shut up and sit down. What is up, Wisconsin? Welcome to the Inside Wisconsin Studios, 10 minutes away from Lambeau Field. My name is Trevor Thomas. And from the Connecticut Field Office, I'm John Anderson. Work for ESPN, but proud graduate GBSW, Green Bay Southwest, class of 1983, and perhaps more importantly, not John Anderson, the linebacker. So, Trevor, this is the first podcast, the first edition of Inside Wisconsin. Uh, since it's your brainchild, I'm going to let you tell people how it is we got here and what we're going to accomplish. Listen, the definition of statriotism is a freakish, absurd, zealous patriotism for your own state. I think we fit the bill, and I think we have stories to tell. This Inside Wisconsin video podcast is going to do just that. We want to tell the most legendary stories from some of the most notable names here in Wisconsin. Uh, but hopefully there is a wide range of people that we can reach out to, uh, whether they fish, whether they golf, whether they hunt, uh, whether they brew beer, which we hope, whether they make beers. Um, listen, we're not above playing into the stereotypes in this thing, uh, but, but the state is rich. Um, and, and not just like rich and that's why your cholesterol number is 300, but rich, <laughs> it is rich in sports figures. It is rich in, in entertainers. It is rich in its own special culture. And, and it's uh, rich in We stories. hope to highlight all those things. Amen. Shut up and sit down. John and I are incredibly excited to welcome the first ever guest of Inside Wisconsin. And there, there couldn't be possibly a better guest to kick this whole thing off with than longtime Wisconsin godfather himself, former football coach of the Badgers, and of course, athletic director, Coach Barry Alvarez. Coach, thank you so much for joining us on Inside Wisconsin. Absolutely. Great to be with you. Proud to be your first uh, your first guest. Hey, uh, give us the state of the state, because this is a, a crazy time and it's been a year uh, like no other. And you're trying to helm an athletic department with what, probably 500 kids and umpteen staff and umpteen coaches. And every day you get up and it's a new day and you have no idea what comes over your email or what that call is. Just What's the state of the state down there with the Badger athletic program? Yeah, you know, Starting a, a year ago now, uh, I can remember sitting in the Big Ten. We're getting ready for the first round. We're having Big Ten meetings, AD meetings, getting ready to start the tournament. And and we, there started some rumbling about COVID and, and what we should do. And actually, I think, if I'm not mistaken, we played one or maybe a game and a half and then canceled everything. And uh, that's when the, the NBA canceled that same night. And then from then on, it just it, it was ridiculous. It was uh, every day things changed. You had to be flexible. You had to be nimble. Uh, a number of people had to be involved as far as making wise decisions. 
I think priorities, the things that we did first was set priorities as far as uh, the number one thing we want to do is uh, make sure the health and safety of our uh, of our athletes and, and, and staff and all those involved uh, was in place and, and all the decisions we made was because of that and, and, and uh, we, we never lost track of that. And then as we found out more and more ab about the uh, about the virus um, and then more tests came up, you know, then it's trying to figure out how to play football, how to practice, how to test. Um, when you do have positive testings, uh, how many days, do you, you know, all the things that are included in that. And that continues now, in our case, 23 sports. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't long mm -hmm. ago, every one of our sports were, they, they were competing. So, um, I, I take my hat off to our staff and our athletes because it has been brutal. You can imagine, uh, you know, for our, you know, our students have been in and out. You know, I, I have a freshman, a daughter, granddaughter, it's a freshman. I think she had one class for maybe, I don't know, four or five weeks. And then that, that went online. Mm -hmm. uh, our players, for the most part, are taking online classes. The meetings are separate. Uh, you practice in groups. You rarely had your teams together. You know, to eat, you go in, you're behind glass windows and you're pointing what you want. You get a bag at the end, you go back to your room and eat. Um, so a, a lot of people put in a, a, a great deal of work. Um, mentally, it's been a strain for people, but it was amazing that we were able to get football. And not, not through basketball season, our hockeys are wrapping up. Uh, we're going to be able to get it, it looks like a year of, of laughing athletics in during a pandemic which is not easy and there's no book that you go to your shelf and look and say oh what did we do pandemic first week here we go you know so <laughs> yeah uh, it's uh it's been uh, really a grind coach you talk a lot about over the years with your players and your staff about always not being afraid of change embrace change because that's how you learn there's no way though that you could have ever set yourself up for a year of change like this. So what has your message been to your programs there at Wisconsin in a year where we've had nothing but change? Yeah, this, this is, a, this is about adjusting now. Yeah. Uh, adjusting to whatever comes and, and dealing with different types of adversity. Uh, it's always staying flexible, knowing what the priorities are. We're going to try to keep you safe first. But uh, these are the things that you can, things you can't do, uh, things that ways to keep your team safe. I mean, it's, uh, you know, if you want to play, you, you have to show discipline. You have to do the things the right way if you want to get out there and compete. That, that's the thing that impressed me. Our athletes, our coaches wanted to compete. And it, it, in a lot of cases, it was a modified season. But uh, we were able to get it done and and. You know, we kept saying the football season had to be – it had to be valuable. It had to be enough games to, to be worthwhile or your better players would leave. They'd opt out and, and, and go mm -hmm. to the NFL early, uh, which some of them did anyhow. Hmm. But uh, I, I take my hat off to the players, at, uh, coaches, uh, for, for working through this and getting a valuable – it was a valuable lesson and something that was not easy. You talk about the, you know, football has to be value, but the value of football is so much in athletic departments and people were like, well, they're just, you know, they're playing because they need the money. 
And, and it's and as I've watched this in my everyday job, I think, well, yeah, but that's the same reason the drugstore needs to try to open its doors and play. And that's why whatever business you're in, people are trying to do that. I, I, I'm curious your thoughts, because it seems like the money has gotten vilified tomorrow. They're just doing this. Play. Well, yeah, you you know, we have to keep an athletic department going. We have to keep those people going. We have to pay for student scholarships. So at some point, uh, like money is a real concern. And yet I don't think it has to be talked about in a in this horrible way that, oh, it's all about the money. I mean, yeah. it's important. Well, we had no one in the stands to start with. Yeah. You know, there's no concessions sold. Uh, you, you, we played eight games. You know, you're going to lose money. We're going to lose millions and millions of dollars as our universities lost hundreds of millions of dollars. Um, but if we could get games on TV, you could salvage, you could salvage some of the money uh, or TV of our TV contract. Mm -hmm. And you know, football is the most important because football is the engine that drives the ship. Uh, football will bring in eighty percent of the revenue uh, of our athletic department, and that pays for the other. You know, the basketball uh, is, is the other twenty percent. And that generates the money to pay for, for everyone else. You mentioned the number, 900 student-athletes. Jeez. And 350 to 400 uh, employees within the department. So uh, to move that department, to keep the department keep functioning as we have, uh, to, to be able to operate at a, at a high level, to provide the things that we do for our student-athletes, scholarships, um, you know, full cost of attendance, et cetera, uh, somebody's you got to bring in money to do that. It costs money. Mm -hmm. Coach, one of the things that we talk about a lot on Inside Wisconsin. No, we don't. It's the first episode. One of the <laughs> things that we're gonna talk in about a lot on in, it's in the planning stages is just the what we call statriotism, a zealous patriotism for one's home state. Wisconsin isn't your home state, but since 1990, the only constant that has been here in Wisconsin is Coach Barry Alvarez. Coach, what was it that made you fall in love with us as a state? I mean, let's be honest. If, if we're going to have the argument of a Wisconsin sports Mount Rushmore, you're on it. You're on every single person's list. We couldn't be more grateful that you've chosen to spend your life with us ever since you got here in 1990. What are you still doing here? What is it about us? I love Wisconsin. I love Madison. I love the university. Uh, had, as you know, a number of opportunities to leave and go other places. Um, when I took the job, I felt that it had everything potentially that it needed. It, it wasn't being done, but there was a way to get the job done there. And the first thing that had to be done was keep your best athletes in the state. And I, and I use the term build a wall around the state and keep the best athletes in. Uh, I, I, had, I had already committed the top two football players to come to Notre Dame with me. Um, so, um, you know, I just, I felt, I knew the, the, the passion, particularly for football, the people in Wisconsin love their football, whether it be the Packers and, or, or the Badgers. And I, I never wanted to compete with the Packers. I've always had a great relationship with the Packers, uh, worked closely uh, with Ron Wolf and, and now Murph and, and, and the coaches that have gone through there and everyone else, I've always wanted a good relationship, and, and, and we've always had that um, because, because I know their value and, and, and how they're, uh, they're, they're, the, the esteem they hold in, in our state. But uh, I love the fact that we have one 
Division One university that plays football in the state. Uh, and I just felt if we did things right, that we can compete at a very high level. And, and uh, once we build our foundation, we'd be consistent. And I, I argue that since 1993, we've been the most consistent athletic program, football and basketball, than any in the country. Amen. As far as going to NC2A basketball tournaments and bowl mm -hmm. games. And uh, you know, we haven't had many dips. And mm -hmm. you look at some of the programs, the, the brand names around the country, and, and every once they've had a dip, Ohio State, Michigan, Oklahoma. Penn State, Southern Cal, Texas, they've all had their dips along the way, and we haven't had that. And, uh, you know, so we, we, we know who we are, and I think that's important. Uh, you know, we build our program on hard work and doing things the right way. Our coaches understand that, and, and uh, that's built within our, within our within our program and you watch our teams play. I'd never, never forget Joe Paterno telling me, you know, I watch your teams play. You could really be proud of, of how those guys, how they compete. You know, that meant a lot to me. I grew up with Paterno. I told him he was so damn sure. old. I was little when, when, when I started watching him coach, you know, <laughs> and, uh, but that made me feel good. He said, all your teams play, they play with great pride. They, they, they they're proud of their uniforms. And, and, uh, that, that meant a lot to me. And, and I sell that to our players and I've been to Freshmen, when they come in, I talk to them, talk to them about that. So, I mean, every coach that gets hired, you got to have a vision, right? Which is great. And you have this vision, but it doesn't be good unless I can sell it to kids. And then I can sell it to uh, my constituents. Uh, um, I, I, I know how coaches, I've seen them operate in, in living rooms and how that works. Tell me how you went about selling this program to the state border to border, Mississippi to, to Lake Michigan, upper Michigan to the Illinois border? The state wasn't hard to sell. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, the, the first thing to sell with in the state was the high school coaches, you know, and, and, and telling them that, that I'm going to support them, I'm going to do whatever I can to help their programs, that we're going to have an open-door uh, policy where anything you want to learn, you want to come down and study with us, you come down and study with us. We'll give you film. We'll put on, we put on clinics around the state. So we got to know the coaches. Um, you know, when they had a player, we, we would call every high school in the state in the spring, see if they had a potential player. And uh, I used to do something. You know, we'd have the state clinic. Um, and when, when I came in, they ran it down at the concourse. They'd have it upstairs. There was room for 300. Well, then the Marriott's built out in, in Middleton. And it's a convention center. And, and quite frankly, I, it took me a while to, to convince the high school coaches to move it out there. And it was huge because now you can go, we, you know, and I wrote a letter to every superintendent in, in the state and asked him to send every one of his uh, coaches at, at the, in, in their school, school district. And we would charge one fee and uh, give them two days off of school. So they get Thursday, Friday, Saturday off. Or, and Saturday would be the clinic mm -hmm. also. So Thursday, Friday, Saturday, we'd get 3,500. It's still, it's still one of the large, I think it's the second largest clinic in the country to this day. And the last on Friday nights, I'd have my state of the state and I'd take every kid from the state and I, and I'd put it on a video. I talked to them about our team, et cetera. And then I put on a video and say, okay, uh, thank you. Uh, green, green Bay Preble, uh, coach, uh, so-and-so for sending us 
John Anderson, and then have a couple clips of that player. And I can remember having Don Nalen in there. I'd have, and I'd bring in top coaches. He says, Coach, there's nobody going to not send a kid here because of that film. I said, well, not, why the hell do you think I do it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, listen, he, he had West Virginia locked up too, yeah. so he, he couldn't cry about that. No, he, Don did okay. Um, okay, but the, the point was we did everything we could for those coaches, and the coaches were telling the kids. They're, they're guiding them to us. So consequently, I think in those that first year we lost a couple kids. And probably my 16 years, we probably lost a handful of players that re we really wanted um, that left the state. And, and that's important. That, that's the lifeblood of, of, of our program, and it still is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, certainly a point of pride, all the Badgers that are Badgers, you know, when they, when they go up there. To follow that, though, then a little bit, you said the state was easy to sell. Uh, growing up, I always found that it was, listen, if you could win seven, eight games and you end up in the – Independence Bowl or the last, whatever it was, Cherry Garden State Bowl. Uh, and every once in a while you picked off Ohio State or occasionally, like that was sort of good enough. I felt like maybe you had to raise expectations within the state as well. In 1990, when I got here, they had been to only five bowls mm -hmm. in the history of the school, three Rose Bowls and those two in the 80s. And I, and I know what you're talking about. <laughs> um, and, um, you know, I, I wanted to win the league. And, and so when we set up our strength program, our out-of-season program and everything else in football, it was designed to, so that we could compete and beat Ohio State and Michigan. That's a, You want to win the Big Ten, you have to beat Ohio State and Michigan. And the only way you can beat them, we're not going to finesse anybody. Uh, the thing that I saw right away and the thing I knew coming in, Wisconsin is loaded with big people. <laughs> you know, because of our, our the background in Wisconsin, the Scandinavians, the Germans, we're going to get some big palookas now. So we're <laughs> going to start with the offensive and defensive lines. We're going to be strong up front. Mm -hmm. We're going to get our, the majority of our linemen from Wisconsin, and that's how we're going to build a program out from the lines. And that's to to, to this day, that's what that's what we do: build a strong running game, good strong defense, and physical. And, uh, you know, we felt like we could be physical. So when we played in Ohio State or Michigan, I'd tell them, hey, you know, our, I, I look for an advantage every week. Our advantage is we, we're not just practicing this week to beat them. We work all year round to beat these guys. That's, what, that's how we prep. That's, how we, that's what, what we do in the offseason is prepare ourselves to beat these guys. Barry Alvarez joining us on Inside Wisconsin. More with the coach after this. Thanks, Coach, for being here. We are inside Wisconsin. Shut up and sit down. Helpful critiques, ideas, great stories, people we should know, the great bar in your town, the fish fry you want to know, the fish boil, anything that you want to reach out to us with, we are happy. We are here. You can be the inputters. We're here to listen. Shut up and sit down. What's happening in Wisconsin this week, Trevor, that's of interest? Well, this week is uh, Brewers' opening day, and so I thought it would be cool to just go through a little bit of history of this week in Wisconsin as the first week in April. April 1st, 2021, yeah. it's the first pitch at American Family Field. We will talk about that a different day. Here's something really interesting. The first it really, pitch, it's, it's not, It doesn't come off the tongue just yet. No, it it's going to take a minute. But right now, it it's going to take a while. Sure. First pitch at County Stadium. John, name the year. 
Uh, would have been 1970. That was the first pitch of the Brewers. First pitch at County Stadium was April 6th, oh, sorry, 1953. Yep. I didn't I didn't listen close enough. My my bad. All right, what else you got? Well, so this is kind of cool. First pitch at County Stadium, April 6, 1953. Yeah. First pitch at what was known as Miller Park when Miller Park opened. Yep. April 6th, 2001. I had no idea. So the first pitch in County Stadium, April 6th, 1953. Yep. First pitch, Miller Park, April 6th, 2001. Maybe they planned that. Maybe not. I thought it was kind of cool. Uh, Brewers first game. You called it. April 7th, 1970. Right. That was when the first pitch of the Milwaukee Brewers was thrown out. Lou Krause was the pitcher, and he unfortunately just passed away in February away, of this yeah. year. 77. Uh, also, a big deal. Hank Aaron hit home run number 715 April 8th, 1974. That's when he was still a Brave. He was. So he started a Milwaukee Brave. Then became an yeah. Atlanta Brave when the team left, but he finished his career with the Brewers. Yes, he did. Two-year stint. So it's a heck of a week for the Milwaukee Brewers here in this first week of April. That is a look at this week in Wisconsin. Shut up and sit down. Continuing on here on Inside Wisconsin with former Badger head coach, current athletic director Barry Alvarez. So you, you put the things in place that you want, and you finally reach that success. Um, and that first Rose Bowl is so memorable and so magical for people. Um, and I've heard countless stories. I've heard you tell them. I've heard people that were on that. But I would like to, if you would, just kind of put yourself back there briefly, if you would. And you, and you finally walk out there into Pasadena. And you'd been there, right, with the Hawks. But, but to go out there and you see this place. And if I mean, it was so red that the roses were literally jealous. And you walk into that place and just, you know, what, what, what was the feeling that comes over you? You know, uh, a couple of days before the game, you know, they, they assign you a driver. And my driver was the UCLA student body president the year before. And two days before the game or three days before the game, he said, Coach, do you understand what's going on? And I said, what are you talking about? He said, um, tickets are impossible to get. The Wisconsin people are snapping up tickets. And the UCLA people, they're not very loyal. Um, you know, they'll, they'll get rid of their tickets. They'll sell their tickets, buy a color TV and watch it on, watch it at home. <laughs> so all of a sudden I realized we're going to have, that stadium's going to be red. And I, and I told our kids, you know, this will be Camp Randall West. And I, I said, we're going to have the majority of the people in the stands. We are the home team. Uh, Terry Donahue asked, he said, you know, um, can we dress, you know, you're the home team, but that's our home field. And, can we stay in the home locker room? I said, hell no. We're the home team. We'll take your locker room. You know, we're wearing red, you know, home locker room. You go to the visitor's locker room. You know, so, and I played all that up to the hill for the players. It, it, and, and we took the field now. I mean, it was it was amazing. But, I, you know, having been there before with Iowa, I know how beautiful the setting is. And I always say it's the most beautiful venue in, in all of sport. And so I took them out there. The, uh, when we landed, I went straight to the Rose Bowl, let them walk around. I took them uh, the week prior. You know, when they painted it, we went out there and, and saw it. Because I didn't want their breath to be taken away when they walked out there. I just prepared them that they're getting ready for a home game. And, uh, I mean, our people were, were all over L.A. And, 
uh, you know, every place we saw our people were there. And, and our players were really excited, uh, as you can imagine, and, and as were the, were the staff. But, uh, you, know, you know, it was pretty cool. We had to go all the way to Tokyo to win that game, win a game to, to qualify, <laughs> yeah. which is pretty unique. Yeah, beat yeah. Michigan State, right? Isn't that who right. you beat out there? Yeah. yeah. And your game plan for that whole trip with making sure that you were on Tokyo time the second you stepped foot in Tokyo. Uh, yeah. I was blown away when I, when I read up on that. All right, Coach. So 11 total bowl games in your career. Uh and this is this is before I think you came back for a couple there at the end. We'll talk about that in a second here. But the last game, that last bowl game, 2006, it was the Capital One Bowl. This <laughs> is my ticket to the Capital One Bowl. I was there for that last bowl game. I was 22 years old. I spent every penny I had to get down to Orlando to uh, see Barry Alvarez's last game. And I must have cornered you somewhere along the way because this is signed by you. Uh, it's it, it was uh, an item I treasured. So here I am, a kid. I'm telling this story that I was at Barry Alvarez's last game, and then all of a sudden, here we are in 2013 and 2015, and you come out of wherever it is that you watch these games to coach in out of more bowls. <laughs> out of mouth balls. That's funny. So John and I were talking. How incredible must that be? I mean, this thing was in 2006, right? And here you are now in 2013, and these seniors, almost 10 years later, are close enough to you to, to say, hey, coach, we want you back. And they did it again in 2015. Yeah. So as a guy that gets Wisconsin, coach, what did that mean to you when they said, hey, coach, we want you back? Yeah, because you know what? It, actually, when Brett left, Brett said, why don't you coach the team? I said, Brett, I can't do that. You know, I'm not around <laughs> your guys enough. Um and when it was announced he was leaving, I happened to be in New York when I found out he was leaving. And it was the day I was leaving. And uh, a couple of the players, the seniors, called and asked if I'd do it. And I said, ah, I don't feel comfortable doing that. They said, think about it. And then uh, I thought, I said, geez, if the players want me to do it, what are we in this business for? It's for the players. And uh, it was a good experience, you know, and, and, and to get – to get back involved and, and uh, I'm still upset. My wife's still upset with me in that first one. We should have won that Rose Bowl. I had some issues. I wasn't going to say nothing. Coordinator. We, we should have won that game. We should have won them both. I, 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 I should have got more involved uh, in, in some of the things offensively. Um, and uh, I, I think we could have won that game. The next one um, was, was a little more unique because my grandson, my oldest grandson, Joe, uh, almost didn't come to Wisconsin because of me. And, you know, he, 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 he did, he's a kid that didn't want anybody to know that I was his grandfather. And, uh, and, I, and I knew that. But he had a good career. And, and when, when the guys came up and, and asked if I would coach, uh, on my way home, I told him I'd let him know in the morning. And on my way home, I called him. And I said, Joe, the, the seniors want me to coach his team, coach the bowl game. You have a problem with that because I want to make sure he's okay with it. He says, Grandpa, I think it would be great. And besides that, we need a little swagger on the sidelines. I said, I can give you that. <laughs> I don't know if I coach worth the damn, but I can give you a little swagger <laughs> on the sidelines. <laughs> I, I wonder, as a follow-up to that, I wonder what Auburn was thinking. 
Because here you are, you spanked him a good one in 2006 in the Capital One Bowl, and then all of a sudden, 2015, the Outback Bowl, right? And it's Auburn again, and here comes Coach Barry Alvarez back to the sideline, and if I was them, I'm like, oh, great, here we go. I don't think they were worried about it too much. <laughs> well, apparently they should have been. <laughs> some guys. I tell you, it was a great game. That was a great game. First yeah. Auburn game, it was great for us, but it was a no contest. Our guys whacked them. Yeah, that was awesome. I had a great time down there. I'll cherish this forever. You uh, you touched on your grandsons, right? I hear coaches all the time. Listen, we're recruiting your kid, and I'm going to treat him like my kid, and I'm going to, you know, we're going to be a fam like that. But what's it like when you're not coaching, and now you're watching your grandkids play, and you don't have the headset, and I mean, you're you're helpless as anybody else is sitting there watching. Yeah. Um. I know that our tight end is open every play. <laughs> <laughs> sure. In our, you sit in, in, in my suite with my daughter, my wife, and, and most eyes are on him. So, um, But it, it's, it's really fun for me because Joe uh, came in. He was a walk-on. He earned a scholarship after a year. He played right away as a true freshman, played for five years, got hurt as a freshman year, so he got four years, uh, played all five years. Uh, and had a heck, tremendous senior year, and uh, you know he's, he did really well in school. He's got a great job out in LA right now, uh, and had a tremendous experience uh, in football and academically. Met has some wonderful friends, guys. There are five guys that he roomed with. I think four of them ended up playing in the NFL, uh, are still playing in the league, are uh, still very close. Um, and then Jake, Jake the same way, Jake. Uh, Jake's turned into a really good tight end, and, and they both had great experiences. And uh, they're going to get degrees from a wonderful university. And that, that's the important thing to me, that, that, that their experience is good and, and, uh, and they walk out of there with a good degree. And really, that's what Wisconsin's about, right? It's all about family. And so to see you now have family in the program. So speaking of family in Wisconsin and Madison, you know, we talked about how you got it, how you love Wisconsin, and there's just – you get it. I don't know how else to put it. Coach Alvarez gets it. That's why he's here, 31 years, right? I wonder if you found somebody in Coach Christ that got it, right? Because Brett left, and, and that caught you by surprise, Coach, self-admittedly, and the same happened with Coach Anderson. You didn't really know. And I, I found it pretty calming – that we found a guy who was born in Madison, played for the Badgers, coached under you, and now here he is. And this is a guy that just gets it, right? Paul gets it. He understand what it, understands what, what it's all about. Brett did too. I, I think Brett just wanted to mm -hmm. uh, reach out a little bit more, maybe get out from under me. Um, but he understood the value of recruiting Wisconsin first, uh, where, sure. where your, you know, your, your bread is buttered and – Gary never did understand that. And uh, I can remember him calling me and just telling me, I can't do what you, what you want me to do. Hmm. So he did me a favor. And, uh, and then, but there's no question about Paul. Paul understands having played there. You know, his father coached there, grew up right up the street. Uh, he knows Wisconsin. The, the, the high school coaches trust him. Uh, everyone in the state trusts him. And he's an excellent coach, does a tremendous job. So, uh, I don't have to worry about that. That's awesome. So people get that, and this is inside Wisconsin, but I always find that there's things that Trevor maybe doesn't get yet. Um, 
My first college track meet that we had to go on the road, we drive to Lincoln, Nebraska, and we're jumping in some place called the Bob Devaney Center. I'm like, who, who the hell is that guy? Um, <laughs> and then I work in Oklahoma for about seven years. So between all that, I learned who, who, who Coach Devaney was. But how much of Wisconsin's program, and, and I know they're, all, they're not the big red, they're the other big red in my case, but how much of your program and Wisconsin's program is Nebraska's program and, and Coach Devaney? He, he was the first big influence uh, on me as far as wanting to be a coach, uh, emulating what he did. I really studied a lot of the things that I believe in are, are the things that that uh, that he taught, things that I I believed in. I carried up with me in, into the as a high school coach and then carried on in, in, in when I went into college coaching, uh, building a strong weight program, uh, the, the, the walk-on program. Uh, why other people haven't followed what they had done? Devaney's the first one that did it in Nebraska and uh, took it to a new level. And that's a thing that I like, you know, really like and felt that it was a perfect fit in Wisconsin because, as I said, one division, one school within the state, those kids want to play. There's good football there, but you don't have enough scholarships for all of them. The kid might be a little short, a little slow initially, or not have a good enough background, but their upside is tremendous. And, and it gives them all an opportunity to play in bowl games and be, be uh, exposed to Division One football and, and Big Ten football and uh, see the big time and, and uh, you know, have an opportunity. If you do a good job, you get up into the two deep, you earn a scholarship. And we've treated them when you come in, when they come in, they're treated the same way as our, as our uh, scholarship guys. They're not treated any differently and they get every opportunity. So uh, a lot of the things that, that we do and have done is is uh, mm-hmm. what they did at Nebraska. He hired the first strength coach. It was a guy that was in my class. Boyd Epley was the first strength coach uh, hired by any college. And this was probably back in ninth, probably late, maybe 69 or 70. Um, and Epley, you know, ended up built being is the strength coach in the country for a long time, started the national Strength Coaches Association, et cetera. But that was the first one. Well, more with Coach. We're going to wrap it up after a quick break. Coach, in our third and final segment with you, John and I uh, uh, put together a couple zingers. Nothing crazy, just a little personality. See if we can't get you to chuckle a little bit. And I've got a couple questions about some of the guys that have come through the program. More with that in just a bit. Don't go anywhere. We are inside Wisconsin with Coach Barry Alvarez. Shut up and sit down. Helpful critiques, ideas, great stories, people we should know, the great bar in your town, the fish fry you want to know, the fish boil, anything that you want to reach out to us with, we are happy, we are here. You can be the inputters. We're here to listen. Shut up and sit down. We are going to talk about, we each have a top five list, okay? You're going to give me the top five badgers in the Barry Alvarez uh, era and beyond. And I will give you what I believe to be is the top five pre-Barry Alvarez. Top five Badgers from 1990 when Barry got here up until present day. If you've got a couple you want to honor, uh, uh, do honorable mention before we get started so you don't feel like you know, you're going to get rocks thrown at you, by all means, you know, name off some guys that probably were, as we like to say, others receiving votes from the AP poll, that kind of thing. 
clearly Jim Leonard is on the list. Does he make the top five? Probably not. But a walk-on story, Amazing Wisconsin just turned down the D coordinator job for the yep. Packers to stay in Madison. Okay, so good. Some love to Jim Leonard. J.J. Watt didn't set any records while he was here, but he was a phenomenal player for the Badgers. Okay. Yep. You have Jonathan Taylor. Taking he was down. fast. Yep. Uh, Russell Wilson had a really good year when he was here. Right. Love Russ. Yep. And obviously Melvin Gordon. Uh, I, I think that it's hard to even mention this list without him, but he didn't make my top five, which I know is going to get argued. But. So basically what you've done there is taken guys that uh, were pros, first round draft picks, um, Super Bowl winners, and, uh, and, and all pros as well. And those are those guys, maybe if we expand a top 10 can get there. But right now, not on the list. Joe Thomas is my number five. Highest, okay, highest draft pick of an offensive lineman. But here's the problem with why he's not higher on my list. Joe Thomas played for the Badgers from 03 to 06. The Badgers were good, but not great from 03 to 06. Two-time All-American. He started all four years, but he was a blocking tight end his freshman year. Listen, he was good. Number three overall pick when he was in the draft. It's Who the highest. Fishing, by the way. What? Who went fishing that day? Yeah, he was on Lake Michigan when he got picked. Yeah. So That's Joe about Thomas as Wisconsin as it gets. Joe Thomas at number five. So just number so, four. Wait, I just wanted you to know that I said, let's go from the bottom up. And some people would go, wait, you just said Joe Thomas. Anderson said, go from the bottom up, but that's fine. You said five. Okay. Joe Thomas, five. So you've already got him too low, but what's next? Monte Ball. He was here from 2009 to 2012. Holds yep. the career touchdown record for 77 touchdowns in his career and also 33 yep. in one season. It's Phenomenal crazy. running back. Number three on my list, Lee Evans, 99 to 03. The guy has so many records when he was here at Wisconsin. Most touchdown receptions in his career, in a season, in a game. Number two, Daryl Bevel. No comment. Darryl so you spell that W-R-O-N-G? No. Wow. I'm listening. Daryl Bevel was by far the best quarterback to ever play for the Wisconsin Badgers. Listen, I know there's a whole bunch in the conversation. A whole bunch. Are there? But, Since Barry? Uh, for Wisconsin, there's been some pretty decent quarterbacks. Daryl Bevel was a great quarterback. Totally. He was great. I, I would agree that he is the best Badger quarterback of the last 30 years. I wouldn't Absolutely. fight about that. Number one, Ron Dane. I mean, I don't know how you – you. Can... Yeah, who's going to complain about that? He has to be. He has to be number one. Yep, and they, listen, they, and they did wonderful things. Joe Thomas went and played in the, the league for a decade, was nothing but an all-pro and first-team all-pro and a pro bowler and didn't miss a snap. Otherwise, he moves up. So I would just tell you that Joe Thomas should be number two. And I, I, I maybe I would, I, in fact, I might straight just swap Joe Thomas and Daryl Bevel and we'll make it easy. How do you put a lineman at the second greatest Badger in the Barry Alvarez era? Do guys like Ron Dane, Monty Ball, or Melvin Gordon succeed in any way, shape, or form if they don't have a guy like Joe Thomas? And I took that into consideration. And I looked at who Joe Thomas was blocking for. And yep. the two running backs that had really good 1,500-yard rushing seasons were behind Joe Thomas. Understood. What mm -hmm. I looked in terms of my list was that Daryl Bevel 
number two, came out of Wisconsin holding 19 school records. Unfortunately for Joe Thomas, it just, it, listen, he was phenomenal. I just didn't think he was better than the guys above him on my list. All right, give us a history lesson, J.A., your top five pre-Barry. So, so here are guys that, that I've really struggled with that, that I think that were great that I know of right away. Troy Vincent was great. You still see him in the uh, great corner, uh, works for the NFL PA, and I think actually he's now in the NFL. He was with the PA, he's now in the NFL. Terrific. Uh, there was a great offensive lineman went on to play with the Bears, Dennis Lick. You probably don't remember Dennis Lick. He was a number no, one. No, I don't guy. remember Dennis Lick, but yeah, I believe you. Paul Gruber, another great offensive lineman, went down, played with Tampa. He was terrific as well. So I will tell you that I am sort of biased to my timeline. So I kind of a coupled entry on the outside with Pat Richter, right, who played in a Rose Bowl team and was the longtime athletic director, uh, and I mm-hmm. think I maybe hired Barry. Uh, so I have him, and I have him teamed up with Ron Vanderkellen, who was the Packer of the, the Badgers Rose Bowl quarterback uh, went to, when they went to the Rose Bowl in 63. They were number two. Uh, USC was number one. Played a great game. It was like 48-42. Uh, he was a guy that threw for 400 yards in a losing effort. 33 of 48, 401 yards, a record that stood till 1995. Like it was completely, the game was completely out of place. So Vander Kellen, and by the way, uh, Green Bay Preble. Oh. There you go. Okay. Cool. All right. So here we go. Number five, uh, Mondovi, Wisconsin. Okay. It was great to see if you were going to guess. No. <laughs> Tim Crumright. Right? Okay. Timmy Crumright. Great. Um, he played 81 to 84, uh, for a time it was odd. He was tearing it up on the uh, defensive line and they had a quarterback there named Jess Cole, who was around and started like as a freshman. He was from Mondovi as well. But anyway, Tim Crumry, and then went on to a wonderful, he was only picked like in the 10th round, went on to a wonderful career, obviously with the Cincinnati Bengals, got hurt in the Super Bowl, sort of gruesome leg injury. Number four is Al Toon. Great wide receiver. Right. In addition to actually then giving us a kid that went and played there. Right. So Altoon, uh, he, he left with about every Badger receiving record you can imagine after his his years in school. Yep. Not native Wisconsin. He was from Virginia. I think he might have even been like from Newport News, Virginia, where um, uh, Michael Vick's from. But Altoon. Uh, and, and part of the in addition to being fantastic at this. So he had. Uh, um uh, all these Badger receiving records. He also had the Big Ten record in the triple jump. You know, I love my mm. track guys. Big Ten record in the triple jump. Qualified for the Olympic trials in the triple jump and the 110 hurdles. In addition to letting that go so he could be the number one pick of the Jets and be great for a decade in in the NFL. So he's he's number four. On another show, I'll tell you how he broke my heart when I was at the University, University of Missouri. Please number do. three is my all-time favorite Badger who I saw in my first Badger game in 1974, and he ran all over the Iowa Hawkeyes, is Billy Merrick. Hmm. Number 26, Billy Merrick. So this guy played there 72 through 75, 73, 74, 75. He is all Big Ten in the backfield. It's just he and Archie Griffin. Archie Griffin plays for Ohio State. He plays for Wisconsin. There's the difference. Guy should have won a Heisman. Uh, 1974 led the nation in scoring. 114 points. He was the all-time school rushing leader, 3,700 yards. He was three times a 1,000-yard rusher. He was only about 5'8", but he was awesome. 
And he was there in that first Badger game I ever saw in 74. Ran over the Hawkeye. At one point, he had the school record 300 yards against Minnesota. Hmm. Billy Merrick will be on. We'll find Billy Merrick because he needs to be on the show. That'd be good. Uh, Number two, Elroy Hirsch. Crazy Legs Hirsch. And I might might drop him down. I think of him, but he was an athletic director. He was a Pied Piper. He played on a great team uh, that was 8-1-1. He did a little everything. Here's the thing that people don't know about Elroy Hirsch. As identifiable as, uh, as 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 he as as much as he is identified with the University of Wisconsin, you know how long he played here at, at Madison? Two years. One year. Damn it. One year. He's there in um, forty two. Hmm. The Marine Corps in forty three starts him with Great Lakes Naval, and then he ends up at Michigan. But for he, he is known best for his year at the Badgers. Elroy Crazy Lakes Hirsch, we adopt him. He was an athletic director as well, and then played for many years in the NFL, uh, was an all-pro, all those good things with them. And so here's number one, and this should be obvious. Uh, First, he might be most famously known. He scored the winning touchdown in overtime of the greatest game ever played. That's what the NFL bills, the 1958 championship game between the Jets and the Colts. He scores the winning touchdown. 1958. Yeah, got it? My dad was four. No, I don't got it. Go ahead. All right. Uh, The first Heisman Trophy winner in Wisconsin history. Played on the first Wisconsin Rose Bowl team, 1953. It's not Crazy Legs, but his nickname, Great, The Horse. Mm -hmm. Still nothing. Uh, Nope. Go ahead. Number one greatest badger pre Barry uh, Alvarez is Alan Amici. Oh yeah, duh. The horse Alan Amici. Don't pretend like you know. You don't even have to pretend like you know if you don't know. I don't know. I, listen, I know the name, but I I'm not Alan Amici, a walking. Elroy Hirsch, Billy Merrick, Al Toon, Tim Crumway, Tim Crumry. As my dad would say, drop your voice. Shut up and sit down. Welcome back to Inside Wisconsin. The Godfather himself joins us for the very first episode. Coach Barry Alvarez. Coach, thanks again for hanging out with John and I for just a little bit of time today. All right, so this uh, third segment is now just a little bit, uh, maybe less about the career and the time and more just, just, I don't know, let's see if we can get Coach off the cuff a little bit. So I wrote down some names of some guys that have been through the program, and I'm curious, Coach, if I say these names, what's the first word that comes to mind? Ready? J.J. Watt. Ferocious. All oh, right. Don't meet that guy in a dark alley. Intense. Yeah. Either one. How about Daryl Bevel? Fast. What? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Who's your next no. guy? Let's go. Smart. All right. Smart. Smart. I, I was, yeah. Fast up here. Smart. Yeah. We all knew what you meant. Yeah. yeah. No, I meant fast. I was being I was talking <laughs> about his run in the Rose Bowl. Oh, I remember it. 21 yards. Ron Dane. The program. The program. All right. Two more. Jim Leonard. Amazing. What did it mean to you when he turned down the D coordinator job for the Packers because it's about Wisconsin? What does that mean? Uh, he and I talked about that beforehand. It means a, means a lot to me. And I knew, I know how much Wisconsin meant to him. 
but that's still, he grew up in Wisconsin. Uh, he knows the NFL. Jimmy, Jimmy has opportunities every year to go to the NFL. Uh, actually had a, a head coaching opportunity this year. Uh, he was the top candidate of a, of a big program. Uh, but he wanted to stay in Wisconsin and uh, meant a lot to me and meant a lot to our program and all of our players that he wants to stay there. And uh, it's, it's important to me. That's awesome. All right, this is my last one. And, John, I know you've got some good ones, too. He didn't come through the program, but i got to be honest, you you had to have crossed paths over the course of time. Mike LaCrone. <laughs> I used to say Mike LaCrone really was a cross between Lou Holtz and Chuck Barris. <laughs> That's fun. John, your turn. First, I would just since you brought up Lou Holtz, do you know anybody who doesn't do a Lou Holtz impression? Like everybody I know at our place can do Chris Berman, and they all do Lou Holtz. I do the best one. Do you? I tell you, age one thing, John. <laughs> I'd go on and on with Lou. Yeah. Uh, oh, he would be so great. He, you I, know, I got a good Lou Holtz story. Let's this, hear it. This is a recent story. All right. I got a call a month ago. He needs a favor. He has a speeding ticket in Kenosha going <laughs> 90 in a 65. Oh, shush. Do I know anybody in Kenosha that can fix a ticket? <laughs> so oh he had to move on to his parking ticket. Listen, I've heard nice. that you fixed the – you used to get on the radio and you'd fix that. If you didn't have callers, you had guys on the staff would call. Yeah, we did. My first year, I had a call-in radio show on Wednesdays. Hell, no one listened. <laughs> we weren't winning games. No one listened. So I'd go to the radio station to do it, and Dan McCarney, Billy Callahan, Palermo, they'd take turns. They'd call, hey, coach, you're doing a heck of a job. Keep it up. You know, we can see the progress. Next guy would call down, and I'd go right down the hall and back. <laughs> That's how the pain I'd get through that hour. That's smart. That's smart. So some of this, uh, 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 we're going to have a segment on this uh, show called Educating Trevor because I, I'm 55 and I know a lot and Trevor's uh, 30, whatever. 37. And, yeah. A little younger. Mindless. So I'm going to ask Trevor and then Coach Alvarez will give you the answer. Who played in the first game of the century? Trevor. Alan Amici. Exactly. Tell, tell him, Coach, who played in the game of the century. Oh, 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 oh. That's Nebraska, Oklahoma. Thank you. So now tell them, who's Jerry Taggy? Jerry, Jerry Taggy was quarterback from Green Bay Preble, came, came to uh, Nebraska and was a starter on their national championship team. There you go. Might have been Preble or West. Uh, he's a Green Bay kid. Oh, and then West. The Packers, You're right. You're right. Then the Packers right. drafted him number one, and he didn't He didn't, He didn't. didn't pan out. That time, now, th this goes back to recruiting. Nebraska had – Anderson, mm -hmm. uh, there were three of them. There was a wide receiver. Dennis Gutsman was a defensive end that started uh, and a wide receiver. Three of them were captains in Nebraska. Mm. Three, two played on national championship team. Uh, you coached at Mason City, High, uh, Mason City, Iowa. One of the two co-hosts on this show was born in Mason City, Iowa. Do you know which one it is? You. It was me. 
Yes, yes. Uh, I was born. I was born there in in, in River City, uh, in River City, Iowa. And then I moved. Uh, who are the Omaha Mustangs? Yeah, was, Omaha Mustangs was a minor league football team. Did you play with them? No. No. Coach from back in the day. Uh, you've got. You get, I'm going to give you the headset one last time, and and you and you've got. You get to call one play. It's just. It's first and ten from the twenty. It's, we're not in a life or death situation. Give me a give me a great play call. That's easy. I just tell the coordinator, give it to Ronnie. <laughs> Listen, that's a money call for everybody involved in that thing. I don't care what you I don't care what you just give it to Ronnie. Yep. Give it to Ronnie. In your Amazing. 30 years there, is it possible to name four players that might have been better than Joe Thomas? No. Damn it. Can you name two? I could name two that are productive, but no one better. Best ever? Under you? I mean, this is the best. Joe Thomas is the best. Yeah. So, and the last one I've got is just, listen, you are 74. You got a place in Naples where you're joining uh, joining us from now. You got a contract through 2021. Uh, What's the future for Barry Alvarez? Well, it's getting close to, to the end. It's getting close for me to pass the baton. You know, I've had a great run, and uh, and I, I my plan originally was to retire after this past season, but I uh, wanted to get us through pen, the pandemic, and uh, but we're coming up on that time. Coach well, Barry Alvarez, we appreciate your time, not just today, but the 30 years you've given this state, you've given the university, the thrills you've given the entire state, being the coach and now the athletic director, as you said, is the only D1 program in the state. Like, we've got a wonderful state system, right, whether it's Stout or Platteville or GB and all those things, but there is still, you know, the folks down in Madison are the bell cow, and uh, we, you've certainly brought this state great pride over the last three decades, and we thank you for your time today and, like I said, for those 30 years. Thank you, guys. I enjoyed it. Thank you. Hey, we'll have you back if you're open, man. We'd love to have you. (laughs) Anytime. Shut up and sit down. We're back after Barry. This is Inside Wisconsin. Barry Alvarez, the godfather of Wisconsin. Phenomenal. How to, I mean, to kick off this show with Barry Alvarez could have possibly been the best scenario to ever play out in the history of this show. So, might have to actually end the show. Could be it. Thanks for we listening, might. everybody, and we're now retired inside Good run. Good run. Great stories. Hey, speaking of great stories, I love a segment that we're going to do on this show about John's childhood growing up here in Wisconsin. We call it John, Wisconsin. It, it, may, be, it may be childhood. It may be different parts, but just things that, you know, that, um, as always, like I said, there are things that are intensely interesting to John. And quite frankly, well, then what more does we need than that, if that's what I think? Um, but uh, Trevor, since you live in Green Bay and listen, we want to be this is our first show, but we're going to try to be as statewide as we can. Uh, it's yeah. why we want people to, again, reach us at the website. Uh, we reach us at inside Wisconsin at Gmail dot com. Um, those kind of places, because we want to hear your stories as well. And we want to make sure that we're touching all the parts of the state that we can and not just be parochial to where I grew up or where you grew up or things that are, you know, within a 60 mile radius of Brown County or woods where you have uh, shot deer. Um, But (laughs) for starters, we got to start with where we where we start. Um, 
And without and this story, there is no John Wisconsin. There's no right. inside Wisconsin that's relative to John Anderson. So I thought I would right explain this to people um, because, uh, again, it's personal to me. Uh, I wrote this a few years ago, um, and it was just on a whim. Uh, and then I sent it to the Green Bay Press Gazette, and the people there were nice enough to kind of print it. And it all started uh, because they closed the Sears, which you would think, well, why? You know, they've closed Sears across the country. I mean, that's what they do every day. Uh, but one in particular, because it literally is, it is my Wisconsin story. I mean, I have tons of stories about Wisconsin, uh, but this is my Wisconsin story. So I appreciate you indulge me. Uh, it's, it's, it's not terribly lengthy, but it's enough that I, I don't have it memorized. I, I wrote it down. And so I thought I would read it as it appeared, uh, on the interwebs, as I like to say, and in the Green Bay Press-Gazette. I am looking for news on the Packers search for a GM, but instead am stuck cold, struck cold in a headline in this very paper. Sears to close Green Bay store. This cannot be. This is not right. This, this is heartbreaking. Sears has closed hundreds of stores across the country the past few years. I know this. It's not a new headline. However, until today, I hadn't considered the possibility that the corporate decision makers would shutter this Sears. My Sears. This isn't just some Sears store to me any more than Lambeau Field is just some stadium or John Wayne is just some cowboy or Frank Sinatra is just some singer. No, where most see just a department store, I see family history. I don't make it from infancy in Iowa to the Sports Center anchor desk at ESPN without this Sears. Doesn't happen. My life is tethered to the brown brick building at the corner of Military and Mason. Actually, it's 6th Street, but we won't worry about the precise location until I learn to ride a bike and my mom needs to know exactly where I am at all times. My mother is a 24-year-old widow with a three-year-old daughter and a six-month-old son. It's November of 1965 when her husband, my father, is killed in a car accident on a gravel road in rural Iowa. I will never know Kenny Anderson, my father. My sister can recall some. My mom has all the memories. In 1965, there are some hard days. The three of us live in a small town in a small house in Mason City, Iowa, a place made famous as River City by the music man composer Meredith Wilson. There are good neighbors on either side of us, dear friends who help look out for us. A few months passed, and in February of 1966, Larry Neville, the neighbor on the left as you look at our front door, he gets transferred to be head of the appliance department in a new Sears store in Green Bay, Wisconsin. Larry was born in Green Bay. This is a chance for he and his wife, Verna, to go back home. That summer, my mom takes us to Green Bay to visit the Nevilles. And there's something about that to her that feels right, something warm and inviting. I've often wondered if it would have felt that way in December. By the end of the year, my mom needs a change. I was home. All her family is there, but so too is my dad's memory. Change can't erase all the sadness, but it can take away everyday reminders. Change is a chance to reset and move forward. So as 1967 dawns, she follows the Nevilles and moves. It's January, it's cold, but it still feels right. My sister and I will grow up Green Bay. The Packers, Paper Mills, Kennedy Elementary School, Lombardi, then Southwest, 
fish on Fridays. The Sears store has made it so. From there, my Sears tale is, is sort of mostly retail. Everything a kid could possibly imagine needing. Clothes and winter clothes, shoes, sporting goods, records, and everything you can't imagine needing. Carpet, drapes, house paint, tires, tools. As I grow up, I wear out those Sears indestructible tough skin jeans like they're brown paper bags. The holes I make in the knees are patched with swaths of denim transplanted from the pairs of jeans I outgrew the year before. Sort of a denim cycle of life. My mother remarries, Walter Collins, the best man I have ever known. He's my new dad. He loves us unconditionally. He also loves tools on the condition that they are craftsman tools from Sears. Tools are birthday gifts, Christmas gifts for dad and my stepbrothers. For my sister, there's a Barry Manilow album. And I'll be admitted, yes, I know the lyrics, but that's because she played them so much. And Andy Gibb, 45s. Mom, put a bow on it. She'll love it. For me, what wouldn't I like to have, right? But if I have to pick just one thing, then it's a football shirt. And these are the days before the NFL had cashed in for billions on merchandising with a picture that looks remarkably like John Brockington on the front of it. The building with that giant swan-like S on the side, that's our destination. My friends and I, we have bikes and allowance money. We've pedaled the route a thousand times beginning from my house on Beamer Street which, by the way, is as vexing to spell now at 55 as it was when I was a kid. Around the corner and down Cater's Drive, you hang a right on Langley, then a left through the parking lots of a restaurant, gas station, convenience store, and then be careful at the intersection of 9th and Military. I can literally still hear my mom imploring me to this day, John, please be careful when crossing at 9th and Military. The whole trip is a ride past buildings that remain today, but places that are long gone. The Village Inn, Western Gas Station, Red Owl Food Store, Food Store, St. Agnes Bakery. There was a water tower, Ponderosa, Van Boxtel Ford. But finally, we arrive at Sears. Military and 6th, always the backside. It's the merchandise pickup entrance by the, uh, all those automotive garage bays. And when I really thought about this, I'm like, I'm not sure I ever went through the front door of the place. We shopped, we looked, we loitered a bunch. And even sometimes we were lucky enough to buy. And it was childhood at its best. Eventually, we graduated and we could take the city bus and take a trip to Port Plaza Mall. And then you graduated high school and college. And I moved to Oklahoma. And then I moved to Arizona. And now I moved to Connecticut. I have a family of my own two wonderful kids. And when our house needs a new washer and dryer, naturally we go to Sears. And I tell my kids for the umpteenth time, this story of Sears in my hometown. And they know the one I mean, because it's the one that brought Nana and Annie Les and their dad to Green Bay. And as I tell people all the time, that Sears, it's more than just a store. It's my story. Shut up and sit down. You know what the worst part is? I fully expect Joe Thomas to see this. And I have no idea what my answer is going to be. <laughs> he won't care. He'll go. He'll. He's the kind of guy that go, oh, are you kidding? I can tell you 10 players are better than me. Not a single player better than Joe Thomas. I'm, 
I can't. I'm just sitting here going, you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> you notice I didn't do this. Here, take the Take the This is it. Here I am. Yep. <laughs> oh, God. When you asked it, I'm like, please say Ron Dane. Please say Ron Dane. Or, I don't know, anybody. No, no, nobody? How about okay. this? Can you name, and you see Ron Dane, say, can you name four players? No. How about two? At least two, he entertained the idea. Four, he didn't even entertain the idea. He, well, he, he what he said in. was... Two people that were production guys, but nobody better. I'm like, mother. Shut up and sit down.